Good morning. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview, and welcome to all of you who are joining us in person and online. Uh, we're glad that you're able to worship with us today, and I get to open God's Word with you this morning. So if you will turn in your Bibles and find uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We are in week 3 of a series through the book of Philippians, or actually the letter of Philippians. Philippians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison, and uh, because he was uh, preaching the gospel of Christ, and so he'd been imprisoned, and he was writing this letter to Christians who lived in the ancient Roman city of Philippi, and that letter has been preserved in the New Testament for us today as the book of Philippians. So if you'll find Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, I'm going to have Moses come up and read through the passage for us. Now Moses will be reading it from the Net Bible, the New English Translation. Uh, generally I preach from the NIV, but I like to use whatever translation I think most clearly uh, represents the meaning of the original Greek language. And I think the Net Bible's translation is better than the NIV for this passage. So Moses, would you read Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 4? Okay. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in Spirit, and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interests of others as well. Thank you, sir. This is God's word, and if you recognize the authority of God's word for us, would you respond by saying amen? All right, we're going to dig into this passage, and um, as we do that, I don't think it needs a whole lot of explanation uh, when I say we live in a time when our country is probably more divided than I have ever seen it in my lifetime. And that's probably true for many of you as well. This is a time period in which our society is the most divided that we have ever seen. So one of the questions is, are we, the people of God, going to be different? Are we going to be different than our society around us? Our culture, our world is literally tearing itself apart. Are we, as God's family, going to walk a different path? I don't think there's been a time ever in recent decades in which it has been more important than now for the people of God to be undivided. 
This is the call that the Apostle Paul made to the Philippians 2,000 years ago, and it is extremely relevant for us today. In this passage that Moses read, these eight verses, Paul talks a lot about unity. He uses phrases like standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. He, he talks about how we should be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit, having one purpose. All these phrases he uses in just eight verses. It's clear that what he's talking about is the unity of the family of God, that we should be undivided as God's people. And so I've taken these eight verses and, and Paul's instruction about unity and I've grouped them into uh, three ways that we are undivided. Uh, as God's people, we are to be undivided in our love for the world, undivided in our love for Christ, and undivided in our love for one another. This is what Paul's teaching in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. Let's look at each one of these things in turn. First of all, Paul says, as God's people, we are to be undivided in our love for the world. As the family of God, we must be united by the mission of Christ. In verse 27, again, I'm reading from the New English Translation. You might be in the NIV or the ESV or the HCSB or the uh, WXYNZ, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever translation you like, uh, read, follow along. But we'll have the, the Net Bible up on the screen. Paul writes this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now you might look at that verse and say, where do we get this idea that we're supposed to be undivided in our love for the world? I don't see anything about love. I don't see anything about the world. So how do we pull that out of this verse? Well, it comes from the phrase, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's the mission of Christ. Paul says, I want to hear about you. I'm in prison suffering for Christ and I want to hear this report that you are standing together, united as one, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel, for the mission of Christ. That is love for the world. The mission of Christ is a mission of love. John 3.16, a verse that all of us should memorize if we haven't, highlight it, underline it, circle it. John 3.16, for this is the way that God, what? Loved. This is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. See, the most loving thing that we can do for the world, the, the way that we can love the world the most, the way that you can love your family members the most, the most loving thing you can do for your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your friends, the, the way that you can love them the best is by showing Christ to them. 
The mission of Jesus is a mission of love. This is how much God loved the world. Christians do not go to share Christ with others because we want to prove that we're right and they're wrong. We believe that we have the truth of God's word, that it is absolutely true. It is our authority for life and faith and everything. We submit to the authority and the truth of scripture. And we believe that. We stand firm on the the truth of scripture. But our mission in the world is not to point out where everybody else has failed and how everybody else is wrong. And if they would just be Christians like us, then they would be right like us. That's not our mission. Our mission is to love the world by showing them Christ because our mission is to save them from death. That's our mission. It's it's not to prove how right we are and to regain control of our culture and to reclaim control of our society and to once again sit on the cultural throne of our nation. No, that's not our mission. Our mission is to save people from death. It's so much bigger than all that other stuff. It's about life and death for eternity. Our mission is to bring people to Christ so that they can believe in him and be saved from death and have eternal life. They're not condemned anymore. That's what we're supposed to do. It's a mission of love. Recently, um, I watched the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ, uh, starring Jim Caviezel. Have you, how many of you have seen that movie? Uh, I would recommend it. It's an excellent movie. Uh, it it's portrays um, when Jim Caviezel plays the, uh, the uh, Luke, the doctor who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts in the New Testament. And he goes to visit the Apostle Paul who is in prison in Rome near the end of his life. And Luke goes to visit Paul just before Paul's going to be executed so that he can capture Paul's story. Uh, and kind of write the book of Acts, right? And so this is the setting, and in the movie, the, there's a Christian community there in uh, Rome, but the Christians in that time period were facing intense persecution from the Roman government. Nero was the emperor of Rome, and he was doing things like throwing women and children and men who were Christians into the arena with lions and tigers and wild animals that would just tear them apart and trample them so that the Roman uh, crowd could watch and cheer. He, he would take Christians and um, stick them on a pole and light them on fire and they called them Roman candles to, the, uh, to be like street lights. This is the kind of intense and violent hatred and persecution that Christians were facing. And um, in the movie, this isn't recorded in scripture, but in the movie, in this Christian community, there's a group of young men who are angry with the persecution Christians are facing, and they're trying to organize a rebellion in Rome. They're trying to organize a, a violent rebellion so they can overthrow Nero, the Roman government, the Roman emperor, and they can uh, establish peace and safety for the Christian community. And Luke hears about this and he goes in to talk to the Apostle Paul in prison about it. And Paul says, no, that's not the way. Love is the only way. It's a great quote from the movie. Love is the only way. Even though, we're, even though we're being killed in the streets, even though we're being arrested for no reason, even though we're being burned alive, even though we're, our, our children are being thrown to the wild animals to be torn apart, we're not going to stage a rebellion and overthrow Nero. Love is the only way. We're going to love others. We're going to serve others. We're going to meet needs. That is the way. That is the mission. 
And unfortunately, we miss that oftentimes as Christians. Love is the only way. Now, recently, um, I've been reading this devotional with my boys, Love Does for Kids by uh, Bob Goff. By the way, he's got a book called Love Does, uh, and it's for (laughs) grown-ups. But this devotional is excellent. I would highly recommend it. And towards the end of this devotional, he's talking about how um, he has this small group of guys that he's been meeting with for Bible study for years and years and years. And, and, and you know, once or twice a month, they get together, they pray, they, they read their Bibles, and, and they encourage one another, and it's gone on for years and years and years. And he said, one day we had this idea to stop having a Bible study and start having a Bible doing. We could sit around for years and years and years and talk all about what the Bible says. And that's great. But isn't the whole point to actually go and do it? And we're so good at at sitting in our Bible studies and our small groups and our comfortable circles talking and debating about the meaning of this Greek word and this phrase and the syntax over here and, and what the cultural context was over here and the historical this and that and the other. And we forget about, oh, we're actually supposed to go and love our neighbors as ourselves. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's do that. Let's stop having a Bible study. Let's start having a Bible doing. And, and that, that really has stuck with me and challenged me. And I was so excited then uh, when a couple of weeks later, Gretchen Keel uh, talked to me about wanting to go out and do something for the community. Go out and do something to show the community outside the four walls of our church that God loves them, that we love them. And she said, could we organize something like a community service Saturday or something like that? And I said, well, that sounds fantastic to me because it's about time that we started having more Bible doings. We've got lots of Bible studies. Let's have some Bible doings. So on uh, Saturday, October 24th, mark that date on your calendar, we are going to have a service Saturday. We're going to gather and, and kids are welcome, parents are welcome, bring them out. We're all gonna serve together. We'll go out into the community and we'll do things like raking leaves for people who aren't physically capable of doing that. Well, we will help and serve and we'll meet needs and we'll get more information about what we're going to be doing as it comes closer. If you're not physically able to do that, we'd love to have you come and stay at the church and pray while the rest of us are out raking leaves because that is a ministry as well. But we're going to show our community, and hopefully I'd love to see this happen uh, consistently uh, and go out not just in Stoughton but in all the communities that our church family has represented and show them what it means to be loved because we are going to be undivided in our love for the world. So plan to come out on October 24th to service Saturday. Second lesson from Philippians that I want to pull out this morning is that as God's people, we are to be undivided in our love for Christ. As the family of God, we must be united by our commitment to Jesus. Going back to verse 27, near the end, Paul says, I I should hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, and here's the first point, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, that's united in our love for the world. And the second point, verse 28, and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. So I wanna hear that you're standing firm, united, by the mission of Christ and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. you undivided in your love for Christ. He says, he goes on to say, this is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation. 
a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. Since you're encountering the same conflict that you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. What he's talking about is uh, suffering is a sign or a, a witness, a testimony of the authenticity of our faith. We are so committed to Christ that we're willing to suffer for him. And we've talked about that in recent weeks, and I don't want to rehash that material. What I want to look at is the phrase, not being intimidated in any way. We don't back down from our faith in Christ because it is unpopular to have faith in Jesus. In our society, it is growing increasingly unpopular to be a Christian, And there's been a a change in recent uh, years that has been somewhat troubling to me because I think it signals a greater uh, persecution coming against the church. It's the change where Christians are now being uh, accused of being immoral. That our belief in the authority of Scripture and what it teaches is immoral. In previous generations, Christians have been accused of being too moral. Oh, you're just uptight. You're a bunch of prudes, sticks in the mud. You want to keep everybody else from having fun. You know, we don't need your morality. Now the tables have turned and Christians are being accused of being immoral and unjust. And I think that is a troubling turn in the narrative that's going on in our society right now. It's becoming increasingly unpopular to be a Christian. But that, that doesn't mean we back down. We're not intimidated. Uh, we don't hide our faith in Christ because people accuse us of being intolerant or unloving or bigoted. We don't, uh, we don't compromise our convictions when people say, uh, you know, Christians are stupid and I can't believe you believe all that silly stuff, all that hocus pocus stuff. We don't back down. We don't, we don't uh, hide our commitment. We don't compromise our faith because We love Jesus more than we fear those who oppose him. Our love for Christ is stronger than our fear of the world. We are undivided in our love for Christ. We're not intimidated in any way. And then he says, not intimidated by your opponents. Now, who are these opponents? For many Christians around the world today, their opponents are actual people who are actively persecuting them, like the Christians in Paul's day would have experienced. They're being arrested. They're being, uh, they're, they're being fired from their jobs. They're being uh, kicked out of their families and their homes. They're, they are even having their lives put at risk where they could be killed for gathering to worship. They could be killed for going to a Bible study. They could be killed for having faith in Jesus. And we've talked about some of those Christians. I don't think for us that we're at that point yet. The opponents that we are more likely to face aren't human opponents. They're spiritual opponents. See, the the reality is when we step out of our comfort zones and begin to share the love of Christ with others around us, when we begin to show people what Jesus looks like and lives like and tell them what he said and invite them into our fellowship, when we do those steps, we will face opposition. It might not be a, a person who's trying to get you fired from your job, although it could. It's likely to be an evil spirit that attacks you because you are going on mission for Christ. 
When you do that, you paint a target, a spiritual target on you, and you will get attacked by unclean spirits. We live in an era of spiritual warfare. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when we go out on mission for Christ, when we choose to love our neighbors, when we choose to share Jesus with them, we will face opponents, but we're not intimidated by those opponents. The Holy Spirit in us is infinitely more powerful than any spiritual opponent we might face. So we don't back down. We stand together. We encourage one another. And we are willing even to suffer or be opposed in our uh, commitment to Christ and to his mission in the world. Now, uh, one of our family members, uh, one of our church family members, is currently living for Christ in a place where it is extremely difficult to cling to her faith. Uh, Many of you know Kelly Gibbons. Uh, Kelly got saved uh, about a year ago, just about a year ago now, here at Lakeview. Um, She became a member of the church. She was baptized last winter just before she was sentenced to three years in prison uh, for substance abuse issues. And uh, she has been in and out of lockdown and different things like that with the COVID and all the stuff that's going on in the prisons. And it's it's a very dark and a very hard place in order in which to uh, cling to your faith. But she's doing well. I just got a letter from Kelly last week and she said, um, it's, it's not been easy. It's been a challenge. It's been a struggle. But I have the Bible that Lakeview gave me before I went in, and I've been reading it every day. She's had some uh, roommates that have not treated her kindly, that have tried to get her in trouble, and different things have happened. And she said it's, it's been a very hard time. But she said uh, in the, this last letter she sent, she said, looking back, I see God at work in it because through all the different processes, I finally got a roommate who is a Christian. So she, yes, I think that's great. So she has a sister in Christ sharing a cell with her and they can encourage one another and stand firm even in an incredibly difficult place to have faith. So I would encourage you to be praying for Kelly. This is what it means. This is what Paul is talking about, undivided in our love for the world, undivided in our love for Christ, standing firm together even in the face of opposition. And I think that brings us to our third point. As God's people, we are to be undivided in our love for one another. As the family of God, we must be united by caring for one another. This is what Paul's talking about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy. And be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. And then, he, and then he goes on. This is the one purpose, the one mind, the one thing you're supposed to think, the one goal. Here, here it is. Verse 3. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. I'm just going to read that again. That is hard. 
Each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. This is the polar opposite of how we live in our society today. Most of us say, well, I'm looking out for number one. Me. What's best for me? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? I'll do something, but only if old number one is taken care of. Right? And Paul says, no, 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 that's not, that's not how we're supposed to do. See, he said, I want to hear this about you while I'm in prison suffering for Christ. I want to hear that you're undivided in your love for the world. You're contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then I want to hear you've taken the next step, that you're undivided in your love for Christ. Standing together, even in the face of opposition, even willing to suffer for Christ, that's how much you love him. And then, and when I've heard those two things, I want you to finish what you started and make my joy complete by hearing that you are undivided in your love for one another, even willing to put the needs of others ahead of your own needs. Nobody does that. And Paul said, if we can get there, we'll finish this thing that we've started. His joy will be complete. I often use this example in premarital counseling. Uh, we will read this passage and, uh, and I'll say, I'll talk about how there are two ways to approach marriage. One way to approach marriage is to say, um, I like being happy and you make me happy. I have needs that, that need to get met and you are great at meeting my needs. So since I like having my needs met and I like feeling happy, I'm going to marry you so that my needs can get met and I can be happy the rest of my life. Or the other way of going into marriage is to say it like this. You have needs that need met. And I'm going to dedicate everything that I have, every penny that I have, every moment that I have, all my energy, all my time. I'm going to pour myself out so that I can meet your needs. And hopefully along the way, you will be happy in the process. See, those are diametrically opposed ways to approach marriage. One says, I'm in this for me. As long as you make me happy, I'm committed. But as soon as you don't, I'm out. And the other way says, this isn't about me at all. This is about what can I do for you? How can I love you? How can I support you? How can I give of myself for your highest good? That's what true love is. It's not the other thing. And, and we talk through this and then I point out, did you know that if the husband comes into the marriage and says, as the husband, I'm going to dedicate my life to doing everything I can to meet your needs. And the wife comes into the marriage and says, as the wife, I'm going to do everything I can to dedicate my life to meeting your needs. Guess what happens? Both their needs are met. Everybody's happy. But if I'm saying, well, you know, quid, quid pro quo, you meet my needs, I'll meet yours. Well, neither one of them are going to have their needs met. Neither one of them are going to be happy. This is what Paul's talking about. Look, if we, if we come to God's family, the church, and we say, my role here in God's family is to give of myself, is to serve, it's to help others, it's to love others. How, who has needs that need to get met? How can I contribute? 
then, then you'll be meeting my needs and I'll be meeting your needs and we'll be meeting each other's needs and everybody's needs will get taken care of when we put others ahead of ourselves. Let me wrap all these things up. Three lessons from Philippians chapter one, verse 27 through two, four. As God's people, we are to be undivided in our love for the world, undivided in our love for Christ, and undivided in our love for one another. Now what's the common denominator? Love. Love is the answer. Love is the only way. If we are going to be undivided as God's family, we must be undivided in love. And I think Paul put love for Christ in the middle because that is the key to everything else. If we are undivided in our love for Christ, then we have the power through the Holy Spirit and through the presence of God in our lives to be undivided in our love for the world and to be undivided in our love for one another. But if we don't get number two right, we won't get numbers one and three right either. It takes the empowering love of Christ to drive the rest of it. We have to receive the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and be restored and reconnected to the love of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to have the love and the power and the endurance to actually do what Paul's talking about here. We can't really put the needs of others ahead of our own needs consistently unless we are empowered by God to do so. We can't really love the world self-sacrificially unless we are empowered by God to do so. That's the point. We must be undivided in our commitment to love. So I'm gonna have Pastor Josh come up and lead communion. And as he does, I want you to wrestle with this question. Are you willing to be undivided in your commitment to loving Christ today?